What's up, everybody? My name is Steve Vandewal, and I'm the host of Steve's Cannabis Show. And this episode of the podcast is brought to you by the 2020 Virtual Meeting on the Medicinal Development of Cannabis and Cannabinoids. On August 11th, from 1 p.m. to 6 p.m., the United Scientific Group and New York Hemp Lab are hosting a first-of-its-kind virtual seminar with six of the leading cannabis researchers from around the world. There is a growing interest in the medicinal properties of cannabis. We all know this. And this has encouraged new scientific discoveries that are now addressing the question of what are the body's responses to compounds produced by the plant. And these compounds are cannabinoids, terpenes, and flavonoids. And from there, what is the mechanism of action that these compounds have in invoking medicinal value versus toxic effects? With so many pharmacologically active compounds produced in cannabis, validating the active pharmacological ingredient is the key endeavor. We are bringing together some of the leading authorities in cannabinoid science from around the world, including the Czech Republic, Israel, Canada, and the U.S. for this event. Keynote speaker Dr. Ethan Russo, a world-renowned cannabinoid research, will set the context of this event by providing an overview of the composition, variability, and the medicinal use of cannabis. Presentations from experts that follow will address both full-spectrum and synthetic cannabinoids, their applications, goals for composition, therapeutic value, and manufacturing. The conference will conclude with a panel discussion assessing the industry, medical perception, and the applications where there are strengths and limitations of each approach. Pricing for this event is $99 for the public and just $30 for Steve's Cannabis Show listeners if you use the promo code STUDENT30. That's capital S-T-U-D-E-N-T-3-0. You can register for this event by clicking on the link in the podcast description. And as one of the lead organizers of this event, I promise you it'll be worth every penny. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by Hashtag Hydro Inc., the number one consumer-rated family-owned hydroponics store in western New York. Hydroponics is the method of growing plants in a water-based solution. One of the biggest differences to note about hydroponics is that it doesn't use soil. Instead, you use a growing media such as perlite, rock wool, clay pellets, etc., what growing media you use will depend on which hydroponic system you decide to set up, whether that be ebb and flow, deep water culture, drip system, wicking, nutrient film tech, etc. Another difference about hydroponics is that it can be done in the smallest of spaces inside your home to allow you to grow all year round. So what can you grow in a hydroponic system? Well, in short terms, pretty much anything. Tomatoes, lettuce, eggplant, cucumber, pumpkin, strawberries, blueberries, basil, peppers, green onions, spinach, green beans, sweet potato, and so much more. And in legal states, hydroponics is a preferred method for growing the highest quality craft cannabis that money can buy. With over 11 years of growing experience, the team over at Hashtag Hydro Inc. are truly masters of their craft. They offer the highest quality products for the most reputable brands at affordable prices. Hashtag Hydro Inc. is located at 5236 West Ridge Road, Suite 3A in Rochester, New York. Check them out at Hashtag Hydro which I'll include in the podcast description, or call them at 585-488-GROW. That's 585-488-GROW. Tell them you heard this ad on Steve's Cannabis Show, and they'll knock 10% off your first order. Now, enjoy the show. This is going to be a really awesome episode because my guest today is Rob Bonfiglio, aka The Hydro Guy, one of the founders of Hashtag Hydro Inc., the premier hydroponic store in Western New York. He is a master grower who has been growing for over 11 years. His dream was always to open a hydroponic store, and on February 29, 2020, Rob, his brother and father, turned this dream into reality. Rob is a very dear friend of mine and has been an invaluable mentor to me in my gardening and hemp growing endeavors. I'm extremely excited to have him on the show today as he is a wealth of knowledge and just a genuinely great dude. My friend Rob, welcome to the show. What's up, Steve? How's it going? Not too bad. Thanks for coming on the show today. I'm excited about this. We're going to dive into a little bit of hydroponics. Yeah, let's go. Let's go. So let's start at the 30,000 foot view. What exactly is hydroponics and how does it differ from soil growing? So in short term, hydroponics is the method in growing in a nutrient-rich solution um, or nutrient-rich water uh, in a substrate other than soil. Um, substrate meaning a growing medium or uh, whatever you choose to actually grow your plant in other than soil. Um, in the intro, you mentioned rock wool being one, um, perlite, clay pebbles, um, you got coconut core, and probably... 
overall the most popular would be the clay pebbles out of the entire the entire bunch. What makes that so what makes that so special? So I mean it's it's a pretty it's a pretty neutral growing medium. Um, not the most pH stable at first, but once thoroughly rinsed and ran for a couple of weeks, it's pretty pH stable. I would say on large scale growing, either clay pebbles or rock wool would probably be your top picks. Hmm. So let's before we kind of get into the details, because I want to dive into substrates a little bit more and nutrients, but to give the viewers of like, I really don't know a whole lot about hydroponics. I do organic soil growing. You know, I love my organic shit. Oh, yeah. Um, Walk me through a typical hydroponic setup. Okay, so one that you're probably going to see both in uh, residential or larger scale grows is going to be the NFT system or the nutrient filter technique. Um, what that is is essentially a gutter or a PVC system that relies upon uh, natural drainage or gravity. Um, you'll have a, a basic reservoir at the bottom. You'll have a pump with a line that brings it to the top tube or gutter. And naturally, you slope the gutters down, staging them from tube to tube. Um, and you could actually stagger them growing, you know, lettuce in the bottom tiers and taller crops like beans or tomatoes in the top tiers. And pretty much it's just a recirculating system that goes from the bottom to the top back down to the bottom. So like... Is it uh, the way I'm picturing it? Is it like a like a like a wall, and you have like you know, say beans at the top, cucumbers in the middle, tomatoes, whatever, and it just kind of works its way down, or you, is it like in like flat horizontally? So, so most people actually do it vertically on a wall. They'll start at their top tier, say <clears throat> six foot high, um, and then you pitch each row about an inch, right? Just give or take. We'll say an inch. Um, then you'll loop it, go back down, and you run another row opposite the other way. Um, and then you run that back and forth and you can do that, you know, 10, 15 times. You can just do two rows if you want. Um, and essentially, yes. So the pump would take the water from the reservoir or, you know, whatever, whatever you have as a, as a container on the ground, it would pump it up to the top row and go down that one inch, uh, slope and pretty much just continue on its path all the way back to the bottom. Now I mentioned in the promo, a couple different techniques, right? Ebb yep. and flow stuff like that. Yep. What are some of the different techniques that you can use? And do you have a favorite or is it just apples and oranges? How does that all work? So when you're getting into hydroponics, you'll probably most likely read about the NFT or the ebb and flow. Um, so we kind of talked about what the NFT is, but the ebb and flow is pretty much flood and drain. Um, and this can be done in two different systems. Uh, you have either flood tables, which are a very popular system still today. Um, it's old school, but it's tried and true and probably one of the most bulletproof hydroponic systems you can go with. How, how do they work? So now a flood table essentially is a large container and they come in many different sizes. It's almost like a catch basin, uh, essentially. Um, so my preferred method is top feed, uh, flood table. So essentially you have your reservoir underneath. And you have a main manifold line that comes off of a pump, and then you have smaller lines that come off and go to each individual plant. Now, the pump will kick on on an automatic timer. It feeds the plants for your preferred uh, length of time, and then it recycles itself right back down into the reservoir. Uh, that would be, if anything, my preferred way of growing would be top, top feed flood tables. Um, the ebb and flow in a flood table is there is a certain kit that hooks up to your pump. And on that same automatic timer, it will then flood the table for about 15 minutes, just constantly pouring all the water from the reservoir up from the bottom. So almost as if a wicking effect. Mm -hmm. um, some For some people, that's a lot easier, right? Because you don't have to run a manifold line down the middle and then tee off and go to every single plant. However, I found in the flood and drain, the root production doesn't seem to be as prominent as a top feed system. So that's why I would recommend top feed over ebb and flow as far as a flood table. Um, but like we, like we talked about, you have uh, coconut core that you can top feed. You have clay pebbles that you can top feed. You have rock wool that you can top feed. You can use all these different substrates in many different systems. They're all kind of interchangeable in a way. Yeah, that's something I'm really kind of uh, uneducated about is these are the substrates. And I've been to your store a bunch of times. I've looked around. I'm still unsure. So like, I guess what would be you know, kind of the basic definition of a substrate and why would you choose one over the other? Why is clay pellets better than, what is it, coconut coir? Yep, coconut coirs, which yep. is pretty much uh, the outside of a coconut, the brown hairy part. Yeah, they yeah. break that down and they husk it and turn that into a growing substrate. Um, 
When it comes down to how to choose a substrate or which one works best for you, a lot of it comes down to preference, budget, um, your means of washing or taking care of such growing mediums, you know, what setup you're running. However, I guess at the end of the day, I would just say basically preference. Everybody has their yeah. own preference in the yeah. growing industry. It's one of the most opinionated industries, I would say, is, you know, once somebody's set in their ways, they're really set in their yeah. ways, and it's kind of hard to gear them or shift them otherwise. Um, as far as pH structure goes, uh, rock wool is one that starts with a higher pH initially out of the package. The pH needs to be brought down and stabilized. Now, once stabilized, it remains a pretty neutral growing substrate. And the same thing goes for clay. It has to be rinsed thoroughly before used or else you'll have serious pH fluctuation and a lot of residue in your water. Um, so why, think, is, why is pH so important? So now pH is, is pretty much the range at which your plants uptake the harm, the harmoniousness of nutrients, right? Well, let's break it down. Full easily. spectrum. Full, we, yeah. Full spectrum, baby. <laughs> so when growing hydroponically, you'll see like, uh, a basic range of 5.5 to 6.5. Um, that's just like the layman's terms pH, right? Going a little bit more specifically, you'll find that most crops that we grow around here like the range of 5.8 to 6.2. It brings it just a little, it narrows it down a little bit. Uh, as far as growing in soil, a lot of people, a lot of people associate the hydroponic pH with the growing pH in soil. And that's oftentimes not true. Most soils are going to want a higher pH, right? Um, over time, the soil has microbes that break things down. It's not readily available all at once. So that soil provides a buffer, um, which is why you can have slightly higher pH. You don't want to go, you know, into the high sevens, but, you know, uh, higher sixes to, to low sevens, you, you should be fine right there for growing in soil. And like above seven is basic and below seven is, is acidic. Is that how that works? Yeah. So essentially you're working with alkaline and, and neutral or acidic and alkaline. I'm sorry, alkaline and acidic. Um, and there's actually a crazy, a crazy way. I'd have to look it up right now. I can't remember off the top of my head, but an easy way for growers to test their pH without buying a kit or um, like pH strips is you can use baking soda and you can also use vinegar, I believe. So you would take your growing substrate or most likely soil in this case, and you would mix it with one or the other. And if either bubbles, it lets you know you have to go too high or too low and vice versa. Interesting. Yes. Now... I'm a soil grower. Right? Yep. I like growing outdoors. Yep. I think that as we start to look at legalization in New York, you know, everybody's really talking about indoor growing. You know, one of the questions I have is indoor growing so popular because of the quality product or because it's been illegal for so long that people can't just grow outside, <laughs> you know, just start a hemp, you know, a cannabis field. Like what's your opinion on, you know, growing indoors versus outdoors? So essentially, yes, it's funny you do mention that because like all cannabis growers pretty much have started in the basement, right? We all kind of work in the, in the shadows there for a while until it was brought to light, but you can just... The controlling the environment is one of the biggest keys, right? You can you can change the temperature and humidity whenever you choose. You know, you kind of can be Mother Nature in a way. You can never mimic Mother Nature, but you have total control in a way. You can play God. You can essentially, <laughs> I guess you can call it playing God, yeah, for plants. Um, now, you can... You can maximize square footage indoors, right? Like I said, you have control of the environment. You can cut down or reduce the chance of getting pests, diseases, molds, yeah. certain things that you really don't have you know, control of outside. Mother Nature is a beast, and she, she yeah. does what she does. Um, essentially, it's just overall more efficient in, 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 in my understanding or my, my belief is it's more efficient. However, you know, growing outdoors and growing in the soil, you just get – you do get certain things that you can't mimic indoors. Yeah. Um, essentially, growing in growing in soil inside, you do get the same microbes, and, and you can you can mimic the outdoor soil indoors. It's just, I don't know, man. I love growing indoors. Seriously, I do. Well, it's like you know, even you know, even in my backyard garden, I'm starting to see you know flea beetles having an issue, and those things right. where some things are more dangerous than other. When you know you're growing a crop worth two to three thousand dollars at a wholesale pound, you cannot afford to have. I mean, 
just one plant. I mean, if you're pulling half pound plants or quarter pound plants, every plant that dies, that oh. can be a thousand or fifteen hundred bucks. Like there's no room for error in a high high value crop like this. Absolutely. And you know that you have to cover, you know, it's an investment, right? So you put your blood, sweat, tears, and cash yeah. into everything ahead of time. And then for something like that, you know, bugs to completely just come wipe it out. Um, aphids have been really, really bad this year, and we haven't seen a high population of ladybugs coming to naturally take care of that. Then come, you know, October, the frost comes whenever the frost comes. You know, it doesn't have a time schedule. You don't get a little alarm on your phone that says, hey, frost frost is coming. You know, so you you run into the the question of am I going to get bud rot? You know, you're out there every morning trying to shake these dang plants around to get the moisture off the morning dew. And essentially, if you've got a large scale crop. That's not going to happen. Yeah. And then, then it leads to you spraying your plants outside, trying to prevent certain things, and which gets into the whole discussion of what do you spray your plants with? Do you go organic or do you go with something that you know isn't exactly organic, but it's going to work, work yeah. right away? Yeah. Um, my answer is always go organic. You know, Try and implement a, an IPM, an intubated preventative maintenance, um, and, and – just if you stay on top of it pretty much, especially indoors, you don't have any problems to worry about. What I'm what I think is really interesting, and I it, it works the same for plants and humans, is starting to is to develop plants and humans to be more resistant to pathogens in the outside world. So like what we really do is we use a lot of worm castings and high bacteria type of stuff from the time that the plants are very little to start to build up essentially that microbiome. Same things work if you're a human being. Like you're better your microbiome, the more probiotics, the more stuff like that, you're going to have a better immune system. You're going to be more resilient to disease. And the same works for for plants. Absolutely, which is actually one of the shortcomings of the hydroponic industry, right? So some of those microbes in the soil, like you said, help the plant build immunity to other bad bacteria or pathogens. And that's kind of something that you can't really implement into hydroponic growing if you're if you're in something like rock wool or clay yeah. or perlite. Um, because you're using such a rich nutrient solution, a lot of those microbes spoil yeah. or the water might get too warm. So essentially, you're not getting that nice immunity or that uh, that that pretty much that nice overall how do i want to put it um full spectrum (laughs) you and your spectrum you love the full spectrum um pretty much you're just not getting that total immunity that you do from the natural soil uh a lot of a lot of actual organic beneficial pesticides are different bacterias to like um say take care of fungus gnats a lot of different bacillus bacterias or species of bacillus actually work to it's kind of sad, but they actually work to crush the fungus gnats based on they starve them to death. Really? But fungus gnats are detrimental to the root zone in our crops, so it's kind of necessary, you know? How familiar are you with Korean natural farming? Have you, do you know anything about it? I don't. So I've been on, you know, I've been studying organic farming and kind of regenerative ag over the, ever since I had that podcast with Jake Fox, yep. which he is, if you. I've never met a guy that can make soil so interesting. The guy knows soil. It's like become an obsession of mine. He makes it but sexy, right? He, yeah. make soil, making soil <laughs> sexy. That should be his tagline. He, uh, I, I started kind of digging through the research and stuff and came up on Korean natural farming. And essentially what it is, is it's designed to kind of leverage the more resilient organisms that already exist in the ecosystem at which you're growing in and build those resilient organisms and their bacteria and their biomes into the plants that you're growing. And he says, you know, think about bacteria. They've been around for a billion years, right? right. Why would we not figure out and kind of harvest that resiliency and incorporate it into plants? So he says, like, you know, it's it's essentially you, you make all these different concoctions, you know, fermented plat plant juice um it's called i am i'll have to look up some definitions i can't remember off the top of my head but it's like okay think about if you're growing in a field and think about everything that's around you in that environment is there trees or is there certain fungi that have persisted through the you know weather and cold and all that being able to harvest these different different nutrients and creating like biological products to incorporate those uh, essentially it's like creating an environmental vaccine for your plants right which is actually what humans have done for thousands upon thousands of years you know until modern medicine yeah 
we've been herbalists, right? Yeah. A lot of a lot of herbs and a lot of different plants, you know, cure ailments or they help aid in in, in yep. certain sicknesses. So I mean, essentially, I understand that that would be beneficial for the plants because. How could the yeah. how could those beneficial plants not help more plants? You, you know? would think so. And and we've kind of gotten into the whole not so much genetic modifying, but you know, selective breeding in a way, right? So they try and find strains that are resistant to powdery mildew and strains that are heat resistant, and they try and cross them together to kind of almost you know engineer this beautiful plant. When, like you said, in reality, there's probably stuff out in nature that we can just implement that would. Yeah have those those same uh, effects altogether yeah i uh i i've been experimenting with some of these different recipes for next year i, I got a little bit of a late start but i uh i made what's called lactic acid bacteria which is a really labs. good in- labs right yeah super easy to make dude literally i i took uh some organic basmati rice in a uh, about two inches of it in a mason jar yep i filled it up with like three cups of rainwater from my rainwater barrel shake 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 gets nice and clear Throw a paper towel and a rubber band over it. So strain some air it. Can, yep. No, not even strain it. Oh, okay. Did I strain it? Yeah, I took the rice out. Okay. Right, and let it sit for four or five days and it separates. Kind of gets kind of funky smelling. Yeah, ferments. Yeah. You scoop. There's like this quarter inch layer of nasty cheese on top. You take that out and then you, you add 10 to 1. I added organic milk. You know, f- milk right off from the cow or goat's milk is really good. It's high in uh, lactic acid. or Unpasteurized? Lactose. Yeah, that's okay. the best. I didn't use that. I just used an organic vitamin D milk. Okay, okay. But I mixed it in 10 to 1 in a big mason jar, and you let that sit for four to five days. And after about five days, you get this like two-inch hunk of cheese, which you can eat. I used rainwater, so it'd be kind Ugh. of disgusting. You scoop that shit out, and you got this like yellowy, like opaque fucking liquid that you – it dilutes you're supposed to do a thousand to one in water like when they i mean it's nothing i have talk about concentrated i have a one i have one and a half mason jars it'll literally last me forever i mean it's plenty so it's like super economical ways of like creating nutrients for virtually no cost it's it's kind of interesting a buddy of mine actually one of our customers actually does that really and and, in his all organic gardening indoors he starts with the roots organic as a base, yeah. and then he feeds them his labs. There's a product called Tribus. It's beneficial microbes. Yeah. It's all about feeding the soil, right? You feed the soil, which feeds the plants. Got to give them the fish shit. You got to give them the fish shit. I also brought you – it's in the car. I forgot to bring it in. I brought you some Real Growers Recharge, right? Wow. So that that pretty much is your six-in-one all in a bag. You can the use yellow, The yellow bag? The yellow bag. Dude, so you gave me a bag of that a while back, yep. and I've shared it because with some friends, and I have gotten – raving reviews like that, literally brought my, my one buddy's garden back to life everybody has just said where do you get this stuff yeah i'm telling you man and and not i don't know that any other stores around here actually carry it. you can get it online it is easy to get online i do have it for the same price point or like right now my whole store is on sale for the whole month um so actually you'll get it for a better deal than online currently um it's super concentrated. It saves the grower money. So talking about feeding the soil, feeding the growing medium, this I wouldn't use in a hydroponic system as opposed to putting it in your reservoir, but you can top feed right by hand. So you could scoop some out of a jug and yeah. just pour it over your substrate and once a week as a treatment. But it's like an all-in-one. Yeah. It's it's like a grower's gift, essentially. And I'll put it in. I got like a little two-gallon watering bucket. Yep. Right? One half teaspoon of this shit turns the water black. I mean, like molasses. Yeah. Super dark. It's kind of got like almost a mocha yeah. coffee kind of smell. Um, it literally looks like you took black rocks and just ground, grinded them right up to powder. Yeah, it's uh, it's been really good. I uh, gave a little bag to my sister. I use it. I've given my pl- – my garden right now looks like a fucking jungle. Literally. It's like <laughs> That's how mine is. It's almost – ridiculous you know and things are i'm it's like i let the grass i couldn't keep up with it it's all i have like essentially a, an accidental grass cover crop which is great especially after that horrible rain we got for two weeks or right two days straight right it holds it holds that nice little basin of it water does, for but you but i got to i mean i grew i made the mistake i made the mistake of growing my uh san marzano tomatoes next to my cucumbers next to oh. uh a yellow squash all my so they're all intertwined it's a jungle yeah literally i'm about to go in there the machete and just start hacking things down yeah so i, I made the same the same mistake with my squash i actually you know they say six feet apart and you're like ah, that's so much wasted space i know well they weren't lying when they yeah. said six feet apart yeah 
I'll tell you that much. Uh, same thing with the tomatoes. So I put my tomatoes way too close together. Yeah. I'm thinking, yeah, I got to save space. Pack them all in. Yeah. At least they're all there close together. They're holding they each other hold, up. Hold, yeah. They're holding hands. <laughs> they're holding hands. They're holding each other up. Yeah. So. I, I wasn't, you know, I f- feel like some, pe- I don't know like what the optimal spacing is for plants. Like I, I was trying to do some companion planting. So between my tomatoes, I was planting lettuce and just kind of lower, yep, yep. lower stuff like that. But like I, um, in my eight foot, I got two eight by four foot beds, and I between the two, I got thirty five plants in there. Wow, in there. it's oh. jamming! You got yourself a nice little victory garden. Yeah, literally. Yeah, no. So sharing the crops like that is really cool. Like I think you can do bean beans next to tomatoes, yeah. um, beets, onions, uh, carrots. You can do a lot of root vegetables in spaces like that that you're trying to fill because essentially they don't need a lot of light. They're just root vegetables. Yeah. So the little bit of foliage that comes out, even if it's in between your tomatoes. It helps save space and you really maximize. And that's where that's where like growing hydroponically indoors, same thing. For such a small square footage of yeah. space, you can really pack stuff in and be very efficient, which is why it's very cost effective in a way when you look at your cost versus your outcome or your yeah. crop or your profits. That's something I want to talk about is I want to get into the cost because indoor growing definitely is where most people are going to be. Not many people are talking about when we talk legislatively and New York legalization about growing outdoors, right? It's right. It's been more like the hemp farmers game, even though I want to grow cannabis outdoors. One day, hopefully. Yes. Right? But indoors, it, you can grow some of the best cannabis. I don't really believe in the commercial cultivation facilities, hundred thousand square foot, million square feet. Like the, I, I don't believe in corporate cannabis. Yeah. believe in is what are like the costs associated with you know utility costs for growing you know hydroponically indoors are we talking more residential home grower like craft home grower or medicinal patient or are we talking kind of like a you're looking to make a little bit of money off of let's it let's think about essentially a uh, a craft brewery like a craft can of whatever you'd call it okay so like a small scale let's say like um a 4 or 8 light you know total Total costs incurred, I mean, if you're going to do it right and you're really going to go for it, right, and try and put out Mm. a premium medicinal product, I mean, for a four-light setup to do it proper, everything involved, you're probably talking three to $5,000. And there's definitely ways to cut corners and set budgets. I'm talking, you know, Mm. top of the line everything, total mold control. You're talking air purification on the the smell and odor end and, you know, the pathogen end Um, and, and, you know. You're talking all monitors, controllers, yeah. like my dream, essentially, right? Boop, 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 boop. Yeah, yeah, you got yeah. the apps on the phone that control yeah, everything. Yeah, you get yeah. alerts. Yeah. Um, now, if we're talking like a one light setup, right? So you got your patient who's really just trying to do their own thing for themselves or take care of another fellow patient. Uh, a one to two light setup, you can be in the realm of 500 to $1,000, right? And essentially, if you're going to these big corporations and you're paying all this money for a product that really they don't deserve your money, yeah. right? You know, certain products you get around here as far as, you know, locally, uh, you don't really get what you want as far as, you know, flour. So no flour, actually. Um, so essentially, I would love to see everybody get into the one to two light setup, everybody being able to grow six to 12 plants for their own personal mm-hmm. consumption. Um, that's the dream, you know? Yeah, I think so. And I think that the reality is, is that, you know, just like brewing beer, I love craft beer, right? But I could, and I could brew my own beer, but the, my best brewed beer will never even come close as to like some of my favorite IPAs or something like that. Right, right. And and I believe that even cannabis, like anybody can grow a plant. Let's be honest. Anybody can throw a seed in the ground and grow a plant and something will rise, but not everybody can grow medicinal grade cannabis. It is a fucking art just as much as a science. So there are going to be people out there, especially really sick people who are going to need to grow their own, who won't necessarily want to drive to the dispensary or to the medical facility. You know, how easy is it to set up? You know, you know, say that we get the six plants that we wanted. How is the easy is it to get a little six plant set up in somebody's house or something like is that feasible for most people? Absolutely. So if the legislation was on our side, right, and uh, you didn't have to worry about somebody coming to knock on your door in the middle of the night. It, if that were the case, me personally, I would branch outside of the store and I would also start doing, you know, more consulting, and I would also get into the aspect of maybe building personal rooms yeah. for for the patient themselves, um, <clears throat> and even larger scale. I mean, as long as you have the construction knowledge and the drive, the passion, the love for it, know how to do things right. Um, and 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 again, there's 
I will never say. So you in, you introduced me as a master grower. I want to let everybody know. I would not call myself a master grower. I'm always learning. There's always something new to figure out. Um, it's kind of hard to be the master of something when they're, you know, it's kind of always evolving. The methods are always changing. But essentially, I would get into, you know, I put the love in it, yeah. right? So like I see what it can do for people. I know the outcomes of what it can be. So as long as you put that love in there, you kind of win everybody over, you know, which is why I think our customer base is so loyal because I'm willing to take the time and individualize each uh, each grower and I'm willing to individualize um, each and every case. So I don't treat everybody the same. You know, I take into effect everything personalized. You have to. I mean, it's like there's there's so many different variables that go into growing cannabis or growing vegetables or whatever it is, especially when you're growing. I mean, you, know, you can't really grow medicinal grade tomatoes, but, you know, everything down from and we're going to dive into this a second and nutrients is like getting the initial setup, you know, make sure, sure are you using LED lights? Are you using, you know, hydro? Are you using soil? Are you in a grow tent? Are you setting up a room? Like, where are you getting your nutrients? Like, there's so many variables. So it's like, I think that if we really want, there's going to be a, everybody's going to try to grow, right? When it gets legalized, right? Yep, yep. And I bet you there's some really, really good growers in New York, right? I, I, I know some. A- absolutely. You know? But like the majority of people I worry and, you know, I want to position myself to be able to help people, especially in outdoor. It's like if you're going to dump your life savings and thousands of dollars in illegal fees to help you get a, a, a growing license, please make sure you know what you're doing. Absolutely. And, and you're going to want to have obviously a plan set aside. It's good to have or come talk to people that know what they're talking about in this avenue. Um, essentially, you want to do your homework before you jump into anything, before you put your money behind anything and and make sure your intentions are pure as well. You know, some people will, you know, kind of get excited at the idea like, oh, you know, legal cannabis and, you know, they got the money to spend, but they they don't have the purest of intentions. Well, generally, you don't always get the best outcome or the best crop, you know, when it comes to something like that. So you want to have, you know, purest of intentions, a slight passion for it. Um, and then there's also regulation that comes into play. If and when it becomes legalized, not just your average Joe Schmo is going to be able to grow. You know what I mean? Um because there are certain things you got to worry about. You don't want somebody spraying your plant with pesticides yeah. and then going to give it yeah. to a patient. So there's a, a a healthy, smart, cognitive way to do this, and just do your research. You you, you made a good point, and I, one of the biggest issues we're you know we're dealing with from I guess an advocacy perspective is pesticides because a lot of approved pesticides and fungicides and all these these different sides are meant for consumption, correct? They're not necessarily tested, at least a lot of them for combustion you know who know who say that like a perfectly safe pesticide to eat doesn't fucking kill you or do something to you if you light it on fire and inhale it nobody really knows so i i I hope that they make the push towards more organic growing or incentivize growers that do but you know i worry because there are people around there that are looking at this industry just to to rake in some gold which means they'll do everything they can to keep that crop safe yeah you know yeah, what is that doing to downstream? Because people start getting sick. It's the, the you know whoever's uh, in charge of those statistics is, is going to say it's cannabis. Cannabis is bad for you. No, it was the jackass that grew with pesticides and that didn't know what the fuck he was doing. Sure, because you know the plant always becomes the scapegoat. You know yeah. nobody wants to take self accountability. And uh, you know right now I, I, there are some problems when it comes to something like that. Right. So what pesticides are registered and or safe to use for consumable crops like this or smokable crops um it's it's kind of sad to say but in some cases money can put you to the top of the list right you can buy a fancy certification or there's ways around certain things and there are three products right now that you can use that uh, I'm not saying they're not organic or not safe, but I know that because this company had some serious power and influence and they monopolized the growing industry, they're the top three listed pesticides that are safe for consumable and hmm. smokable crops. Now, I, I, we, it's up for speculation, right? Yeah. Anybody can form their own opinion, but when you got a, a big conglomerate company who literally bought out 15 different brands and then bought out their own huge distribution center and now controls the pricing on a lot of these products and where you can buy it and obtain it and now they're one of th- three of their you know 
pesticide products are one, two, and three on the list. It's almost kind of hard to be yeah. like, hmm, who who had the influence and in hand at picking these well, products? The, the nutrient industry is pretty shady, isn't it? It's a little shady. It really is. I mean, essentially, you know, you've got you've got your growing elements, just to name a few: nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, magnesium, calcium, uh, zinc, boron, manganese. You got all these different elements that go into the growing industry and. Almost the same handful of elements are in every single different company's bottles, right? It's pretty much, again, this whole industry is kind of tricks in a way. You know, it's all preference. Ooh, you like this label. It's got the shiny package on it and it's got, you know, this, this, and this. So you kind of fall into that trap of, oh, this one's the best or that one's the best, you know? But nitrogen is nitrogen is nitrogen, right? Right. Essentially, you could be using powdered salts yeah. and and spending three to four cents per gallon to mix up this nutrient solution instead of thirty to forty cents per gallon buying from you know these fancy companies, yeah. and you can get the same, same product. It's, Plants don't know the difference, do they? I mean, it's it's they're taken up and they're 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 chelated differently, and, and the plants really. Essentially, no, they don't know, right? So the plants don't have a preference. You have the preference. Um, they're all blended differently, and they will all break down a little differently. But at the end of the day, they're all on my shelf for a reason, right? They're all going to work. And I kind of have, I kind of get into this like uh, this position where I kind of have to stock all these different brands because I'm trying to cater to people. But when I say people get stuck in their ways, they're really stuck in their ways. And uh, you got to, you got to give the people what they want, you know. Well, I think, you know, and you can relate coming from an Italian family is, you know, growing cannabis is a lot like spaghetti and pasta sauce, right? Yeah. My uncle is a chef. He has an an Italian restaurant. His sauce is amazing. My mom has her own sauce and it's amazing. My other aunt and my girlfriend have their own sauce. They're all amazing, but they're all different. Absolutely. Right? They also essentially have the, the, the same fundamental ingredients, right? Diced tomatoes, tomato puree, garlic, et cetera. But different it's all, bases, diff- different salt to sugar ratio, whatever, you know, whatever yeah. it may be. It's like not one's not necessarily better than the other. They're all different and great in their own ways. And that's a lot. How, that's how cannabis is, in my opinion. So that's what I preach to like. Uh, my audience on TikTok. You know, I'm that hydro guy, so I talk a lot about growing plants. There's a hundred different ways to do one thing in this industry, right? And not one is right or wrong. Some might, some might just work better or be more efficient or more cost effective. But you can't sit here and say something's wrong if it works. You know, there just might be a a better or more efficient, sound way to do it. Um, so it's kind of funny you say that because you could. Essentially, I could have the same variety of plant and give you that same variety of plant. And, you know, I take it home and grow it my way. You take it home and grow it your way. And you end up with a totally different, like, product at the end. Same variety of plant, but the outcome is going to be pretty much different, you know? And it doesn't really stop a nutrient. It's like, what if you decide to light depth for 30 minutes less? Or you, like, change the temperature or something? Like, there's, like, a million different variables that could all positively or negatively affect this, this, the chemotype, the phenotype. Like it's like all these little things. And once people have the recipe, you know, everyone's got their oh, own yeah. recipe and process, right? Oh yeah. I mean, you could have the same variety of plant or same strain of plant, right. And have been growing it for five years and you could literally change the temperature five degrees or run it for an extra five days longer. Do something where you stumble upon this like blessing in disguise where you know, this plant doesn't tell you it's perf it's it's preference. It doesn't tell you, well, hey, you've been keeping me at seventy five degrees. I really like it at eighty two, or it doesn't tell you those things. So it's kind of like you may have had this genetic or this strain for years, but you're kind of like always figuring it out, yeah. or it's kind of just like unraveling these new characteristics to you all on its own, which is kind of amazing in a way because it's a miracle plant overall. You know what I mean? There is no other more medicinal natural resource on this planet. Maybe mushrooms, right? But may, we'll, we'll put them in the same maybe category. Maybe psilocybin. Yeah, psilocy- man. yeah, yeah. I've been looking. I've been looking a lot into like chaga and uh, uh, shiitake. Okay. So I've been looking for a, a brief aside because you, you'll think this is interesting. I really like Paul Stamets. Right? Okay. He, he, this guy knows fungi, right? Guy knows mushrooms, and I've been looking for ways to create a high vitamin D organic product without, you know, we can't put fish in a CBD oil. You know, sunshine is the best way to get vitamin D. Yeah. But what I've, what I've learned is that if you take mushrooms are like vitamin D sponges and super medicinal for a multitude of different things, just like cannabis. If you take a uh, shiitake mushroom fret, grown organically yep. and you dry it with the gills up okay. in the sunshine for two days, 
it increases the vitamin D by like 50 or 60 X. It is a fucking phenomenon. What are those fins? Like solar panels that just literally it like literally inc- like I have to find the article. I'll send it to you later and I'll, I'll post it on in the podcast description, but it's like, it's like biochar turns, you know, negative ions into positive ions. It's, it's, it's like a natural ionizer in a way. It literally is like, you know, you start looking at cannabis and, and mushrooms and like, you know, how are we still kind of operating on this pill platform and like all this yeah. shit? It's like, I believe the medicine can, be, all medicine be grown right in our backyards. 100%. And that's what I mean, you know, as far as uh, I mentioned earlier, there's a lot of plants and herbalists that will claim that you can just about cure anything from nature you know and we've kind of just gotten to this fundamental way of thinking that there's a magic pill for everything oh you you're not sleeping right take a pill oh you know you don't feel good take a pill you know taking a pill has just kind of been a big ass band-aid so to speak Mm -hmm. when really nobody's finding the long term or the the real solution to the problem um so yeah, I think plant plant medicine is huge, and it's something that me and my wife are actually looking a lot more into. Uh, we stumbled uh, across a show on Netflix, and Zac Efron and this other guy is the host, right? It's and the new one, right? It's the new yeah. one. It just dropped, and we just like literally just stumbled upon it. And the lifestyle that this—I want to say the guy's name is Darren, and I don't remember his last name—but Darren and Zach they go out, you know, these different countries or different places like Costa Rica, and you know. Pretty much, you watch the show and it teaches you all about plant medicine, sustainable energy, yeah. you know, a, a lot of things that we're kind of lacking on here yeah. in the States or, or here in America as well. Um, there's the time for changes now, right? I think so. You know what I mean? And, and not just in one or two avenues, in a lot, a lot of avenues. The time for change is right now. Yeah, I think that cannabis legalization is going is kind of that one thing that's going to like it kind of unites the left and the right and we're very divided right now so we have this opportunity this agricultural and medicinal and industrial and economic and justice focused industry that i think is going to be the tipping point for positive change because the cannabis industry generally is like i feel like most people and there's always bad apples that's the theme of the world right now is that there's always bad apples yep but generally, people that I've encountered are very environmentally focused, very do good first, make money second. And I think when you take those those principles and those values in an industry and a whole bunch of people that have those, we can start to see looks like the world's going to be a lot, a, a lot better place sooner than later. So being behind the counter at the store gives me hope for this world because of the community of growers that we have, right? The people that come into my store are not stingy, selfish, out for, you know, just one or the other person. It's a very giving, wholesome community, right? It's it's an ever-growing community. Everybody's trying to lend a hand. If there's a, somebody who's got shortfalls or shortcomings, somebody else or another grower in that community is trying to lend that hand. Yeah. It's a very underground kind of community. Um, it's a big word-of-mouth community. Because everybody's scared to just kind of, you know, not essentially be a martyr for the cause, but to just stand up and say, listen, enough is enough. We're fucking sick and tired of this. You know, the time is now. And, you know, there's power in numbers. So if everybody just kind of said, you know, the big F you, we're going to do it anyways, essentially, you would probably see change happen pretty fast. Yeah, I just think it's so crazy that we have to worry about, like, you know, criminalizing gardeners. Like, Right. You know what I'm saying? It just... I. In, in growing, growing, you know, let's say cannabis for starts, growing cannabis, or any plants or any vegetable crops, it gets you more in touch with the earth, whether it be hydroponic, soil, organic, whatever yeah. way you grow, it, it you become one with nature in a way, right? Because you have that little hand at playing God and you're nurturing something and yeah. you're watching it grow. So you become more environmentally conscious and you, you kind of watch the things you do. Or if you littered before, you would never litter again because you start to look at things yeah. in a different light. I'll tell you that this 2020 has really been the year that kind of, I think, brought me close, the closest to nature that I've ever been because my project for the quarantine that kept me sane was gardening. Absolutely. I learned 
organic gardening. I built my beds. I got my plants in. And then, you know, with Morales Family Farms, that farm, you know, I helped this farmer um, who I met about a year and a half ago at a hemp lab event. I just, I just saw your update. It looked, it looked beautiful, man. They're, they're jamming, right? They're jamming. They look great. But like, you know, I started out as just an advisor, you know, he was going to farm it. I was going to kind of teach him how to grow it. And after, you know, a couple of weeks, I felt very close to this farm. I was there every other day. You know, I didn't have to, that wasn't in the contract. That was like the original contract I had with this. Like, we're going to have a once a week phone call. Right. You know, but you meet the family, you become like a part of the unit, you know, it's, it's, it's that community kind of just grabs a hold of you and, and not drags you in. But you want to be dragged yeah. in. You want to feel that. You yeah. know, it's awesome. Yeah, it's uh, it's cool. I I, I want to circle back. This I, we could probably talk for five hours. Oh, I'm sure. And maybe we should we should do a, a long form five hour. You know, Joe Rogan type of podcast one of these days. That'd be sweet. I want to talk about nutrients, right? Um, I want to. You talked about it earlier. What exact? What does NPK mean in terms of nutrient regimen? And how do you go about choosing a nutrient regimen for growing cannabis? Okay, so your NPK is, you know, your nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium. That's not all the elements that are in those nutrients, but that's for registration purposes. So anytime you go see a nutrient, you're going to see these three numbers on the front, you know, four, seven, nine, and, and you're going to look at them and be like, what the hell does this mean? A lot of it's for registration purposes. They kind of have to just let you know, you know, essentially those three elements, what, what percentages are in it or what concentration is in it. Um, that doesn't necessarily always reflect the the best basis for how to choose a nutrient company. For me, there's a lot of things to put into perspective. You know, the company's reputation. How do they treat their end customer? You know, the the customer service that they have. Um, do they pass heavy metals tests? You know, a lot of companies right now in in the cannabis world are failing for heavy metals tests. Um, Meaning they don't essentially have a clean product that should be smoked by a medicinal user. Um, As far as the best one to seek out for cannabis, like I said, you want to kind of just look for a company that's a do-good company, a for-the-people company. Um, Off the top of my head, Emerald Harvest, right? The the founder, owner of Emerald Harvest Nutrients, they're based out of California. Um, They are not labeled in organic nutrient. Now... People will kind of get into this battle of organic and synthetic. Just because it's not, you know, labeled organic doesn't mean that the the salts or elements in these bottles was like created in a yeah. lab somewhere. Yeah. They're just salts from the earth, sourced and blended differently. Um, regardless, Emerald Harvest is uh, a company owned by a cancer survivor and a medical cannabis advocate, right? So he's very stringent to make sure that. You know, he's not selling you snake oil in a bottle. You know what I mean? And he's also cognitive to make sure that his product is clean as far as heavy metals tests go. Um, probably the biggest nutrient company in the world that everybody almost knows about is General Hydroponics. You know, they were the the pioneer in the nutrient game. As far as, you know, the truest NPK ratio for growing cannabis, I would probably say General Hydroponics three-part or their Cocotech series is probably close to the truest NPK you're going to want to see. Well, how do these – so j- during veg, right, you want a more nitrogen heavy, right? How does like the nutrients – like if you're doing like a, a, a cycle, how does the, do those nutrient ratios change as you start from like a clone all the way through the end of flower? So actually a clone, a lot of people would think, you know, because it's young and generally in vegetative, vegetative growth, which is when you're focused on growing the plant, um, that you need a lot of nitrogen right away. To start, when you have cloning, you're actually looking for more phosphorus, which helps aid in root development. Um, And the General Hydroponics 3 part has actually been tweaked over the years where uh, it's known as the Lucas formula. A grower named Lucas came out with his own formula and realized that if you blend the ratios of micronutrients and the bloom bloom nutrients, you essentially could eliminate the grow out of the 3 part. There's enough nitrogen to support the plants, and it's more or less about the phosphorus-potassium blend um, for cannabis. Interesting. Yep. We're, we're playing around with different we, – we're running a 343 uh, – like or, or, or General or, Purpose? Yeah, yeah. 343 okay. three through our – you know, we have a um, 
a nice little drippier for our hemp crop for our one acre crop. Okay, okay. Running a three four three with some worm castings and stuff, and I I think that's why the plants are obviously doing so well. But everyone's got their own recipe. Everyone's got their own proportions. I've heard people running, you know, fourteen zero zero high nitrogen, you know. And, you know, it's, and, and it all breaks down into water a little differently, but essentially those numbers are never going to be those numbers because once you break it down and put it into water, you're going to end up with a completely different number. So you'd yeah. really have to do some serious math yeah. and figure out yeah. your ratios. Yeah. Um, that's why I say try not to look at the numbers so much as your basis for choosing. Um, you'll notice like certain hardeners or products you use at the end will have 0% nitrogen and really high in phosphorus potassium. You know, it's, it's more for registration and sometimes for what the product does. Interesting. Yep. So the million dollar question. Oh boy. In regards to quality of smokable cannabis flower, how does hydroponics compare to soil growing? Okay, so you're talking the million dollar question is like the taste of organic versus, you know, hydroponic tastes like water. Um, well, medicinality. Medicinality, I mean, you're probably going to see, you're probably going to see more soil grown or, you know, labeled organic cannabis in the medical field. Um, but that's not, that's not always the case. Now, it just kind of, it's more of a feel good kind of thing, right? So it's labeled all organic. You know that the registered products had their OMRI listing. Um, so it's kind of like that feel good. But at the end of the day, it's like if, if regardless of what salt or, or nutrient you use, if they pass these stringent tests yeah. to make sure that there's no carcinogens in it and that they don't have, you know, heavy metals in the, in, in, in cadmium and stuff like that and, uh, in the end product. I mean, I really don't see a difference in the organic versus non-organic, you know, end product. I think again, it's like more of that. We marketing. Yeah. It's that marketing. We buy into one side or the other. Cause like they label non-organic as synthetic. So when you hear synthetic, you just, your mind goes oh. right to this lab made product and yeah. I'm not saying there's not synthetics or PGRs and growing nutrients, but, you know, something like general hydroponics, which is just basic salts mixed with water and some food coloring. I mean, I, I don't see a huge difference between that and your powdered bat guano that, you know, at the end of the day, the plant's going to grow and it's going to bloom and you're going to end up with a pretty premium product as long as you start with a good strain. So it's all in the genetics you run really, right? So I like to tell people, you can only polish a turd so much, right? So if you start with a junk seed, you can give it the best, the best, most expensive bottles in the world, and it's still going to be a turd at the end of the day. You're only going to polish it a little bit. So it starts with your your genetics, and most importantly, it's your environment. You know, the cleanliness, the the range between temperature, humidity, CO, CO2, uh, making sure that they're all in a nice cohesive environment and you don't see crazy fluctuations. Um, yeah, just stability, man. Overall stability. It's all about optimizing that environment. Absolutely. Stable genetics, stable environment. You hear that, people? Optimize your environment. That's right. Don't polish turds. Don't good, polish turds. <laughs> good. Coming from a master grower and professional <laughs> turd polisher, Rob Bonfiglio, my <laughs> brother, thanks so much for coming on the I show today. I appreciate you, Steve. Thank you so much, man. Everybody, I hope you enjoyed today's episode and you learned a little something. Again, my name is Steve. My guest today is Rob Bonfiglio from Hashtag Hydro Inc. We are out.